come l'assassino infierito su quella poveretta deve aver usato un ferro rovente. Si tratta certo di un pazzo. Odio maniaco sessuale spinto da furia omicida. Che uccide solo le belle donne. Certo. Forse è proprio la bellezza femminile che gli fa perdere la testa e lo spinge ad uccidere. Ma non hai paura a star sola. Isabella e Peggy abitavano con te. Isabella è stata uccisa e... e Peggy... E anche con questa prendeva la droga? Quel vizio lei ce l'ha. Ce l'ha scritto chiaro sulla faccia. Se vuole posso anche dirle dove si procura la droga. Maledetto assassino! Maledetto! Confessa, sei tu l'assassino! Ispettore, lo faccio visitare. È un impotente! Ah, no! Per questo odia le donne! Le ucciderebbe tutte perché non può averne nemmeno una! Welcome back to another episode of Where to Begin With, a podcast which picks each season a particular subgenre or actor or director, a topic, if you will, and then runs an entire season exploring it, giving you a logical route to make you from novice to expert by the end. This is season one and we are focusing on Where to Begin With Giallo. The Italian murder mystery, crime slash horror thriller, maybe, subgenre, which is finding a bit of a renaissance at the moment. If this is your first time listening to this show, please go back and check out episode number one, where we covered the very first movie I recommended if you're trying to get into this subgenre. is of course, the Rosetta Stone, the Keystone, the template of which basically every giallo post-1970 is based on is, of course, Dario Argento's Bird with a Crystal Plumage. I just want to thank everyone for the phenomenal feedback I got for that episode, and we have a couple of listener reviews of said movie, which will be thrown in at the end of this episode when we confirm what movie number three is that we'll be covering next month. Now, as you know, this is kind of a loosey-goosey, non-formatted uh, show. 
This is one which basically just gets right into the action. And you will know that at the end of the last episode, I said movie number two on your where to begin with list for Giallo is what I would argue is maybe one of the most important of the old guard. This one is Blood and Black Lace and was directed by the very late great Mario Bava. Now Mario Bava is credited as the guy who brings Giallo to Italian cinema. He is often dubbed things like the Italian Hitchcock and really is the... If you're a filmmaker of a certain age and you are wanting to put down your filmmaking credentials as to this is my knowledge, I know my shit. If Mario Bava isn't one of the words that comes out of your mouth when someone asks about influential directors, then you don't know shit, son. You need to get back, get a bit of studying done, and then come back to the plate with some hardcore knowledge. Bava was so far ahead of his time. This is a guy who starts off as a cinematographer and brings... um, all these kind of special effects tricks that he learns early in his career to his craft and sets up maybe some of the most beautifully composed shots and not only Italian horror cinema but I would extend out to horror cinema in general. Kind of starts off his career very early 60s doing horror movies um, although has been involved with uh, movies, documentaries etc before that and then kind of just runs the train right through the 60s right into the 70s uh, and into the 80s where he sadly dies still having a massive impact if you look at any of the ilk of directors that we are likely to be discussing in this season of Where to Begin with Giallo most of them will credit Mario Bava as a huge influence if not Dario Argento who takes the Bava template and updates it. All the funky colours that we associate with Argento that's all been done by Bava almost a decade previous and that's what makes Blood and Black Lace really interesting. The girl who knew too much is credited as being the first proper giallo movie and it's in black and white though. Bava's first kind of stab if you excuse the pun at giallo cinema with a scope of colour is Blood and Black Lace and it really does just kind of set out uh, a kind of more thrilling template. This is murder mystery thriller sort of stuff that Argento will just pick the ball up with, add a bit more violence, add a bit more sex, add a bit more sleaze, a bit more peril and that will eventually morph into uh, the horror subgenre we know and love today. So, let's get into a bit of why Blood and Black Lace is so fucking important in the genre. First and foremost, what the movie does is it gives us the archetype killer, the trench coat wearing masked killer. In the case of this one, the face is obscured by a mask which is not too dissimilar to something like Rorschach if you've watched The, the Watchmen. Or read The Watchmen. I'll get shouted at for saying watch The Watchmen. Because uh, everyone's like, it's a fucking comic book, Duncan. But yeah, if you've checked if you've checked that out, just minus all the blotchy ink. It actually makes him weirdly look like a mannequin. Which is apt. Because this movie is, in a lot of respects, this one is right on the nose of what 
Giallo becomes kind of famous for post this movie. Because it's set in Italy in the 60s, I mean, this was the cultural and fashion centre of the world. We can't underestimate how important um, Italian fashion, uh, Italian culture, cuisine had essentially infected the world's consciousness. We all looked at that part of the world as... I mean, there's a reason things like Milan is still important in the fashion scene and whatnot. We look at that part of the world because they were known for being stylish, ahead of things. Uh, Yes, the country is the the heartland, the centre of uh, the Catholic Church, but at the same time, there was this kind of, in the 60s and 70s in particular, this kind of free-loving, kind of sexually liberated society that really were trendsetters in a lot of respects. So it kind of feels apt that this movie, which sets a genre ahead on its style, its jet setting, its locations, look at the look at the beautiful architecture, look at the stunning clothes, look at everyone that looks like models. This one would set directly in the fashion industry with six models who will ultimately become six victims in a fashion show house. And we have, weirdly, uh, kind of ahead of its time again, and not necessarily fully replicated straight away, we have a killer whose modus operandi in terms of how he kills people varies from victim to victim. The story itself is really um, not deep. It's as shallow as a puddle, and uh, not a very deep puddle either. A spoonful of water is about as shallow uh, as this has in terms of depth. It is a, essentially a very basic A to B to C murder mystery thriller, and... In a lot of respects, in lesser hands, this movie probably wouldn't stand the test of time. It probably wouldn't really have that much impact. And to be fair, um, it would be a kind of weird oddity in the, the footnote of movies that influence Bird with the Crystal Plumage. But in the hands of Mario Bava, this movie becomes something entirely different because this is the genesis of the... The story doesn't need to be all that interesting overall. Although, to be fair, I I do quite enjoy the murder mystery elements of this movie. But it doesn't need to be at the forefront here. You don't even really necessarily need to like the casting choice here. But by God, does this movie look like it is in the hands of a fucking auteur. The choice of camera angles, the choice of lighting, basically replacing things like white lights that we'd usually see in movies with specific colour lights. When we think of... If you watch any 80s movie now, right? All these 80s movies and all the revival that we're getting recently where people are like, look at the neon, look at the neon, totally influenced by um, Toby Hooper or Joe Dante or, you know, all these these kind of lighting elements. These guys are directly influenced by Mario Bava and what he was doing with lighting. He replaces them. As a result, lights come from unnatural positions and are unnatural colours, but it adds to the tension, the mystique and the thrilling horror that is on display in this movie. There's a scene where one of her victims dies by being drowned in a sink and the camera actually goes into and underneath the water pointing up at the face. The cinematography is absolutely fucking incredible with this crystal clear water and this bright red lipstick and the the, the makeup on the face as this character is, is essentially for all intents and purposes drowned in front of 
of your eyes. And Bava doesn't shine away from that. The deaths are kind of gruesome and in a way that I kind of applaud. Bava himself being influenced directly from people like Hitchcock, who had a bit of a mean streak, but at the same time, a massive fan of Hammer Horror, going as far as to make some gothic horror movies himself in the early 60s um, that are really worth checking out. A movie like The Whip in the Body, for sure, which stars Christopher Lee, is an incredible example of, of Bava just trying something different in a genre which is tired and kind of being the boss of it. Um, what you have also in Blood and Black Lace is, on top of the phenomenal fashion sense, the costume design is absolutely beautiful. The colours, so vibrant and deep. So much so that the Arrow Blu-ray that was put out, what, three, four years ago now, um, really leans into that. And the colour correction work that they've done on that is just absolutely jaw-dropping. It is, of course, a kind of remaster print of a print that Joe Dante himself owned, uh, who is a massive, massive fan of this. You can go across and check out his thoughts on the trailer for this movie and the movie overall on his YouTube channel, Trailers for Hell, which I recommend you do anyway because he gets great filmmakers from the genre and chatting about the trailers for movies that they love from yesteryear uh, and some modern ones, but mostly older movies as well. This is a movie to me which really benefits and also once again hammers down the staple of great director, great eye, phenomenal score. And if you have those things in place, you are a bona fide classic Italian director. The score on this movie is brilliant. It fits it to E.T. in every single scene. Composer Carlo Rustelli would be uh, synonymous with working not only with Bava but also Fellini um, providing the score to Lost Youth working with Bava on Blood and Black Lace but then kind of moving forward with movies like Kill Baby Kill and even penning the scores for the popular White Fang series uh, which ran from about 73 to 75 this guy has so many so many credits in cinema. And it works here. It, it kind of adds the the kind of strut of almost this kind of catwalk-esque sort of beat uh, with an international flavour as well. It's also worth saying that his Jallo contributions, specifically on Blood and Black Lace um, and Kill Baby Kill for Bava, is also kind of preceded though by... Um, has worked with other great directors but the aforementioned The Whip in the Body is worth checking out because he scores that one as well about a year, maybe a year, a year and a half before for Bava and I, I really like this idea of Bava finding people that he likes working with and just kind of carrying them along which is a testament to how Italian cinema generally worked at the time you look at most of the directors that would kind of follow in the wake of Bava and they would use the same scriptwriters, the same producers, the same um, composers would appear intermittently on their projects and that's just how things were done. And in a lot of respects, it adds a bit of weird continuity when you look at people like um, John Carpenter, for example, who would do something very similar in his run. John Carpenter also being a massive fan of Bava and particularly Argento. 
Bab is fully aware when he's making this movie that the the visual porn that he's portraying on the screen with the bright colours and the luring set design is also kind of juxtaposed with the, the, the kind of vibrant colours of the Italian countryside and the landscapes that you get as well. So you have this idea of what's happening specifically in the warehouse as well as what is happening outside. The deaths aren't contained just within a building, they can happen anywhere. And as a result, you get through most of this movie kind of trying to work out who the killer is, but because you're so overloaded with stimulus like the score and the cinematography and the colours specifically, and the deaths as well, which were very punchy for the time period, you sometimes, I feel, kind of lose track of what the mystery actually is supposed to be about and in some respects that aids it even more so nowadays when you look back at it it's not at the time it was an incredibly original movie but nowadays it feels like a movie which has has been done many times since and that's because it has been done many times since like I say this is one right at the very start that kind of pushes the boat out for how things are going to be um, with this specific genre which is kind of finding its foot and then you add to that uh, Bava specifically with his camera techniques and special effects background adding that to the movie and then also the sense of humour that he injects and the co-written script as well Bava had this wicked sense of humour in his movies, he believed that movies were all about the experience and not even at their most violent, if you look at a movie like Bay of Blood, for example, they should always have that sense of humour in the background. He felt that that kind of made the experience feel more like theatre, and I kind of agree with that. It's why I gravitate to them so much. I hate movies that are just one beat and one tone from start to finish. I enjoy um, a plethora of different ideas and styles uh, making their way onto the screen. Overall, the movie, I think personally, specifically in its kind of new restorations that are making the rounds on stateside as well as the UK, are a shining example of a man who now gets a lot of credit, but in his day was seen as a bit of an outsider who never really made it to the heights that someone like an Argento would make in terms of mainstream popularity internationally. A guy who did well in his home country and trendsetted the tone, the style for horror movies post himself. He is maybe one of the more important filmmakers that does not trip off the tongue of many cinephiles he had a huge impact. Horror directors in the 80s owe a lot to the work of Mario Bava, specifically in America, because these people, these filmmakers were seen as movies, play at dodgy little cinemas and grindhouse drive-throughs throughout the States. He also basically kicks off the whole Italian movement, his influence being as such that Bird with the Crystal Plumage probably wouldn't exist without Mario Bava. And in that world, the the heyday of massive boom and then bust of Italian cinema in the 70s and 80s doesn't take place. 
You could argue without Mario Bava, you don't have movies like Deep Red, Suspiria, um, and, you know, the list goes on and on and on. Uh, Filchi might not be the director that we know him to be. Martino would probably never have made a giallo. We've probably done a lot of police procedurals and maybe that whole police procedural subgenre, which kind of spans out of the, the decline of the giallo, doesn't exist either. It's a weird world to imagine any scenario where Bava doesn't really take the bull by the horns and starts imposing his will in the projects that he creates in the very late 50s and very early 60s and beyond. As always on this show though, what I like to do is kind of pass it out to you guys to get your thoughts on this. So, before we jump into your thoughts on the previous episode selection, which was Bird with the Crystal Plumage, eh, I want to know what you guys make of Blood and Black Lace. So if you've never seen it before, seek it out. It is available, you can buy it, I'm sure it's on streaming sites out there, it was doing the rounds on Shudder for the longest time, but Blood and Black Lace is your assignment. And I just want your views on the movie. If you've been following us through, you can do direct comparisons to Bird with a Crystal Plumage. Do you think it's better? Can you see how Argento takes the influence and moves it on? I want them sent in to me by email to either podcastunderthestairs at gmail.com or tputzcollective at gmail.com. So that's either to podcastunderthestairs at gmail.com or, alternatively, tputzcollective at gmail.com. You guys have one month to get that submitted. I need it in for Friday the 15th of May. So that's Friday the 15th of May. Get your thoughts in for Blood and Black Lace from Mario Bava. So we're really lucky on the last episode to have advanced thoughts from Richard Glenn Smith on... um, Bird with a Crystal Plumage. Uh, He is the host of Hello, This is a Doom Show, which does a lot of Jallo movies. And I put out there, the kind of way we will be doing this is that at the end of the movie, I will ask you for your thoughts so you can submit them in in time for the next one. And we had two reviews that came in. One is an audio review and the other one, um, which I was overjoyed because it's a name that I tend to know my listeners, uh, but this is a name that's new to me. Um, So I will say that this is the first time that I've had an email from Courtney. Thank you very much, Courtney, for sending in your thoughts. So let's jump into what Courtney said in her email. She said, hey there, Duncan, I just discovered your podcast and I'm really enjoying it. You are very funny and informative. When I learned you were starting this series dedicated to one of my favourite subgenres, I was excited. I've been a long time avid fan of Italian horror and giallo in particular. It's a genre that I'm extremely passionate about and I'm looking forward in participating in the discussion. I'm also looking forward to the other films that you choose to review. So here are some of the quick thoughts on Bird with a Crystal Plumage. I just finished watching this film again last night to refresh my memory as it had been a while since I saw it. Although I prefer some of Argento's later films, Bird with the Crystal Plumage is one of his best and quite an enjoyable watch. I love many aspects about the film, from the mostly coherent plot to its fast pacing. Even though I've seen the film multiple times, it still held my attention and I was never bored. The characters were great as well. 
Sam, the main protagonist, is both likeable and sympathetic, and I absolutely adore Susie Kendall, who plays Sam's model girlfriend. Her attack in the apartment with the killer attempting to get in is such a memorable, intense scene. There are other many memorable characters in the film beside the leads. The effeminate art dealer, stuttering pimp, and the eccentric cat-eating artist that Sam visits later in the film all come to mind. The dialogue and acting, usually pretty laughable and awful in Giallo, isn't bad at all. The dubbing, which seems to turn many people off when they watch these films, is actually pretty good as well. The murders were tame in comparison to some of Argento's later films, but I still found them both to be stylish and well-crafted. And of course, I can't forget the genuinely creepy score by Ennio Morricone. There are, of course, some things I dislike about the film, but overall, it's an extremely effective film with a neat twist ending. Thanks for your time, Courtney. Courtney, thank you so much for submitting that review, and I hope to hear back from you with uh, Blood and Black Lace, and welcome aboard the Giallo train as we run one episode a month through the rest of the year on this one. There will be titles, no doubt, that you are familiar with being a fan of the subgenre, and I hope to throw a couple of curveballs in there eh, to keep you on your toes. The second review is from a long-time listener of my other show, Podcast Under the Stairs. Uh, it's an audio review, and it comes in from our good buddy, David Garrett Jr. David says... Hey there, Duncan and T-Puts listeners. David Garrett Jr. here just wanted to submit a clip for the Where to Begin With series, with this season being the Giallo films. Now, The Bird with the Crystal Plumage is an interesting one that I had seen previously, I grew up knowing the name Dario Argento, but I actually never saw any of his films until I watched Suspiria, and this was probably only two or three years ago. So it was one of those things where Italian cinema was really a blind spot where I'd only seen just some that my father had for us on VHS, and it really took me until podcasts to really start to know about some of these titles. And... The Bird with the Crystal Plumage probably was the third one that I had seen. I know I had watched a homage one to them called Amir, as well as seeing The Strange Vice of Mrs. Ward. And I'll admit, at the time of watching both of those, I thought they were okay. And even the first time that I saw this movie, I didn't really enjoy it all that well. But I think it's one of those moments where the more that I've actually started watching films from this subgenre i've actually started to appreciate it more and i'm not gonna lie duncan it is part thanks to you and listening to just how you praise some of these movies as well as some of the ways that you break them down and i go back and watch some of them and it really makes a lot more sense you know kind of knowing the different things about the subgenre coming into it for me because a lot of times as long as i can understand it i can really enjoy it a whole lot more so to get back to the bird with the crystal plumage. I thought this has an interesting little story that we have that actually plays pretty realistic. Now, you obviously have the police are having this writer help with their investigation. In real life, I don't think this would actually happen. But, you know, using movie logic, I can overlook that. I like that, especially with Argento, we get this characters misremembering things that we get here in the very beginning where he sees this attack between what ends up turning out to be a husband and wife. What I really like here though is that Sam doesn't realize that he 
sees this go down, but just because he sees the wife get stabbed, he doesn't realize, though, that she is actually the aggressor. And having seen this now three times, I have realized that I don't think there's any cheats here. It's just so quick and so far away, and I think that's really strategic in Argento to have it be so such a long shot that you don't actually get to see necessarily what's going on, at least the details of it, where you do just kind of see what happens really quickly, and then you see the person who is, you know, dressed in the black trench coat escaping, and so you immediately assume that he's the killer. Now, I do have to say here, I forgot to kind of add this in, the second time that I got to see this, the film center that I go to to watch most of these movies in the theater did an Argento Appreciation Munch, and I'm pretty sure that they did The Bird with the Crystal Plumage is one of the four that they were showing, so... Even after that viewing, I thought it was good, and I thought that from the first viewing, but it's really after this third viewing here that I've really come to appreciate it. I used to think it was boring, but now I don't really necessarily think that's the case, as I do think that everything that we get here builds the story, including, you know, we have a couple more murders, so it's really pushing the police even more to try to find this as the press is starting to put things together with that. And then... There's moments like when you get the stuttering possible pimp that's in jail who Sam goes to talk to. At first I was like, what does this have to do with anything here? But after this view and I do realize that he starts to connect Sam with other people who leads him down the path of trying to figure everything out. And I even think that the reveal for this movie is actually pretty good. I do like that the husband is trying to protect his wife, but then on top of that... I do kind of feel like it's semi-plausible that this painting, you know, would trigger things to do it or to make her go on this murdering rampage. I mean, obviously, you do have to suspend some disbelief, but it still is somewhat more logical than some of the other ones that I have watched from this genre as well. And the last thing I had to say before I kind of ended this recap of what I thought about the bird with the crystal plumage would have to be I was really excited to see Susie Kendall in it because I find her to be absolutely gorgeous and I'm sure I'm not the only one that's going to think that as well, but I just thought I would, you know, throw that out there. I have to say, I'm glad you kind of recommended this because it did give me an excuse to give this another rewatch. I still think this is probably top five Argento for me, if I'm going to be honest. There's only, I think, two or three that I haven't seen yet that would possibly, you know, give me my final determination there, but it's definitely, you know, in that top echelon for this director as you know he's also one of my favorites so my rating here though is going to be i would say a probably a 4.5 out of 5 and once again i'm really looking forward to you know the next episode and getting a chance to rewatch that film as well this is david garrett jr signing off and thanks very much to david garrett jr for sending in that audio review for this one hopefully you will partake in the journey as well sir as we move along at pace through the world of giallo so there you go you have your assignment it is to give me a review of blood and black lace in for the 15th of may but what is coming up next month I thought long and hard about this one. I really want to kind of tick off quite a lot of the big names in the genre, but also tick off the movies that really start to spiral out from the bird with the crystal plumage that are not just essentially clones of which you get loads in close proximity. One of the really interesting ones is done by a name who would go on to be more synonymous with uber-violent and at times quite gross movies 
is of course the phenomenal Lucio Fulci, the godfather of Italian gore cinema. He did a little giallo movie way back in 1971. The movie would be called A Lizard in a Woman's Skin and that is the movie that we will be covering in May. So get that one sourced because at the end of next month's episode I'll be looking for a review of that one as well. So coming up next month we will be talking about A Lizard in a Woman's Skin. Thanks very much for listening to Where to Begin With in Season 1, Giallo. We are going to be putting these out, like I say, one a month until the end of 2020. And this show is hopefully here to help you get a foothold in Jalo cinema, to expand your knowledge of the subgenre, but also for you guys to take part as well. So I look forward to hearing your thoughts on Blood and Black Lace and coming back to speak to you in one month's time. This show is a proud member of the Tea Putts Collective. On this feed, you will also get shows like Doing the Nasty, where myself and Mark Ball look at the Tier 3 movies in the video nasty list. You will also get Opera Omnia, where myself and my guest for Season 1, Mr Watson, look at the filmography of Ben Wheatley. Upcoming episode will feature a review of A Field in England. And you'll also get Chronicle, which is a smaller podcast I do that runs season to season looking exclusively at European horror cinema through subgenres. This particular season looking at British folk horror. Thank you very much for listening to this show. Thank you very much for all the support. Make sure you subscribe to this and if you want more horror cinema content, check out my other channel, Podcast Under the Stairs and visit the website tputzcast.com. But until we come back in one month's time, remember, as all great Jallos do, anyone could be the killer. Even you. This is Duncan McLeish, signing off. <laughs>